This podcast is brought to you by Voice of Vets. Voice of Vets. Hear it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. We are joined at this time by one of the participants, as I alluded to earlier, of the Oxford vaccine trials, one of only two trials being conducted for a possible vaccine to COVID-19 across the African continent. This participant in particular is a digital marketing manager by profession and also happens to be a VAWFM alumni. Her name is Robin Porteous and she joins us here on the COVID Report. Robin, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you please start by taking us through how you first caught wind of the vaccine trials? Um, Well, thank you for having me firstly. Um, so I'd, I initially heard about the fact that South Africa would be hosting their own vaccine trials through social media. Um, I think there were quite a few reports that went out around Vitz hosting the trials and there was quite an, quite an interesting uproar with kind of mixed responses. Um, but I just knew if there was an opportunity um, to get involved, then I absolutely would love to. So because um, I was talking to someone on Twitter And they kind of, you know, I was advocating the fact that we needed to have vaccine trials here. There's been cases in the past where vaccines have been developed in the Northern Hemisphere that have proved to be less effective when when implemented in the Southern Hemisphere. So I've always believed that it's an excellent idea. Um, Obviously, understanding the contentiousness around using African bodies as test subjects. So I was was airing these views on Twitter, as I'm prone to do. And... um, Someone said to me, well, I'm just going to sit here and wait for you to sign up. So (laughs) never being one to back down from a challenge, I then took steps to try to find out how I could sign up. I found out that a friend of mine who works on News24 was taking part. And so he got me all the details. And a week later, I was being treated like a guinea pig. So would you say what called you to participate was a dare or the need for more representation in the way medicine is developed. What called you to eventually take the steps? Um, I did, you know, I thought a lot about it. My my father is a doctor. We've always, uh, my brother's a doctor, my mom's a physio. So we've always just been a medically inclined family. And what I realized was particularly at a time like this, I'm a huge advocate of the idea and the notion of active citizenry which is that every single citizen in a country has a responsibility and a role to play in some way, shape or form, irrespective of, you know, whether they've got formal powers. And so what I realized when I came across the vaccine trial was it was the literally, it was the bare minimum I could do in terms of this, this fight against COVID. You know, it's so multifaceted. It's everything from being able to try to help people through donations to trying to help healthcare workers. And, and one doesn't always have, you know, endless funds in order to be able to donate to every, every single person who's in need. And this just seemed like a really new and also hopefully meaningful way that one could try to play a bigger role um, that would not only help South Africans, but hopefully help people across the world because, you know, I think we've seen the kind of devastation that COVID-19 has done for multiple reasons and in multiple ways. And so the quicker we can get a vaccine, hopefully the better. 
Now, Robin, sharing with us a bit more, what are the selection processes you had to go through to be a part of this trial? And what were some of the disqualifying factors that fortunately you didn't have to suffer from, but some that other drew out other people? So you have to go for a full day of tests. They test everything from your blood sugar levels to whether or not you're pregnant. You have to get weighed, have your BMI tested. Um, you have to do a COVID test every single time you go into the testing center. And so I think what they were looking for was obviously people who were without comorbidities because we know how, how dangerous COVID-19 can be to people with comorbidities. Um, and they, you know, they really just made sure that you were healthy in every single aspect. So they test your blood pressure, they test your blood oxygen levels. Um, yeah, they test your temperature. So it was quite, it was quite a rigorous, I did feel a little bit like a pincushion by the end of it because I'd been poked and prodded and, and, but the, you know, everyone who was doing the tests kind of always explained to you what it was they were doing and why they were doing it. Um, the way that the self works is to try to response in your body that will build up some degree of immunity to the actual protein because the protein of the COVID-19 virus is what makes it so infectious. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of it, but it looks like a little ball. And that's something that our bodies haven't really had much exposure to and makes it therefore more susceptible to getting the infection. So they are trying to make sure that across the board, you are really healthy. Um, and therefore, presumably, if your body comes across that protein, even though it's a new protein, they are able to mount some kind of defense to it. Well, I guess this serves as a great segue to our next question, especially for the benefit of those listening right now who might also be considering participating in a vaccine trial on their own accord. Can you take us through the mechanics of the trials themselves? Certainly. So um, once you've passed all the tests and you've proven that you are a, an excellent subject, <laughs> you then two days later get the first vaccine. Um, every time you go in, as I said, you literally get the same test. So your blood pressure, your blood oxygen gets tested again, your blood itself gets tested again, COVID test again, all those things, just to make sure that your health again isn't compromised. Um, so then after you've gone through that for about two or three hours, you then get the actual injection. Um, the first time you get the injection, because you get two injections, the first time you get the injection, you then sit and wait for half an hour just to make sure that there aren't any adverse effects. If you know, they give you a, a paracetamol and they just advise that if you do start to feel compromised or, or feel a little bit sick, um, then you're to alert them as soon as possible. Um, and then after half an hour, you get sent off with a daily diary, like a diary card that you keep, um, which means that every single day you're checking your temperature, you're checking which symptoms and seeing if you've got any symptoms and rating them if they are developing. And then 28 days after, you go in for your second injection. Um, same, same vaccine. So 50% of the trial participants get a placebo and 50% get the actual vaccine. And you don't know which one you've got. Um, but then, so once you've had the second vaccine, you sit around for an hour this time. And as soon as you can say that you've sat around and you feel okay, you get sent on your way. Very fascinating, eye-opening stuff, Robin. Thank you so much for that. Now, can you take us through what was said to you in regards to potential side effects of the vaccine trials? 
Absolutely. Um, so you do get you do get quite a lot of reading material from even before the first time that you go. Um, they obviously, it being a medical trial with a new vaccine, they do need to just try to inform you as much as they can of the risks. So, for example, on the on the post vaccination diary card, in terms of symptoms that you're tracking, you're not only tracking your health symptoms, but even the site of injection you are tracking whether or not there's any kind of developments, if there's redness or swelling or itching or bruising. Um, and then in terms of your actual health symptoms, you know, you're tracking your temperature, whether you've got your increased sweating, shortness of breath, coughing, if you're developing rigors, headaches, loss of smell, loss of taste, um, muscle pain and joint pain. So it's, you know, it's nothing untoward outside of what you would possibly get when you get a really bad case of the flu. But I think obviously with, <laughs> with the risk of COVID and the ability for it to be transferred, you've got to kind of be on high alert all the time. So after my first injection, every single morning I'd wake up and kind of think and, and just sit and review my body. And then, you know, every symptom that I got, had I slept funny or was this a COVID symptom? <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it can get a little bit obsessive, but now that it's my second time around, I'm a bit calmer. <laughs> Definitely always being on the lookout. On that, what are some of the rules and regulations of participating in the vaccine trial? Are you, I was quite shocked when you could do interviews. Are there things that are absolutely not allowed when participating? So the only thing, obviously, so one of the, you know, you have to take a bunch of questionnaires and they do ask you about your alcohol consumption and whether or not you smoke. I, you know, they've never expressed to me that um, one shouldn't do that in excess. I think possibly if you smoked, they'd feel that that was a bit of a compromise in terms of your health. Um, but I don't smoke, so I never got, <laughs> I never got told not to. Um, the other thing is that while you are taking part in the vaccine trial, which itself lasts for a year, um, you may not fall pregnant because, you know, obviously they're, they're trialing an entirely new vaccine and they, they're trialing it on healthy bodies but it would kind of change the purpose of the trial and also complicate things if you were trialing it on pregnant women. So for a year, you may not uh, fall pregnant and every time you go in, they do a pregnancy test and you also have to provide written proof that you are on contraception. So in terms of that, you know, that, that for just being a woman, I think that's been the most um, obvious kind of precaution. Um, they're not, they don't discourage you from talking about your experience and they do acknowledge that there is a need to do so, particularly with the stigma around it. I'm talking to you. My face was also plastered on a newspaper in Japan. So <laughs> they've been very forthcoming in terms of, you know, not, not saying to me, don't talk about this. It's, it's not a dark and scary kind of secret medical trial that, you know, they want people to know about it. And because they're also conducting multiple studies at the same time, they're just about to start a new one. Um, they are in need of volunteers. So I, I couldn't, for example, while being on this trial, go and be on another one. I'm, I'm mind blown listening to you recount your experiences, Robin. Now, to your knowledge, can you take us through how allergies are accounted for? in the vaccine trial progress. I'm wondering if there would be instances where you'd be disqualified uh, from participating if you have an allergic reaction to any of the components of the vaccine trials. Is, is that a thing at all? So they do ask you to disclose your allergies. Um, again, the only allergy I've got is to codeine, which isn't a component of the vaccine. 
Um, the vaccine itself also, as far as I understand, it shouldn't be something that you could have an allergic response to. What they've done is they've taken a, a cold, it's, it's a protein that causes the common cold in chimpanzees, I believe, and they've basically genetically modified it so that it looks, in terms of that round spiky protein, it looks like COVID, COVID, vaccine, um, COVID protein. And um, so theoretically, there's actually nothing in it that one could have an allergic response to. Um, but they do ask you, and you, and obviously it's to everyone's discretion. I think obviously the questions around the injection site um, may be trying to reference if there is some kind of potential for an allergic reaction. Um, some people get allergic reactions to, you know, plasters. So you constantly, you're getting your blood taken every two, two, two to four weeks. You're getting poked and prodded, and even the, the injection itself can cause you to bleed and need a plaster. So possibly, you know, I think as long as people are honest about what it is that they are allergic to, but as far as I understand, there shouldn't be an allergy that would discount you from being able to take part. And Robin, you speak very in-depth of the process and of the science behind it, but as a trial participant, how much of the science do you actually know or are allowed to know? And what do you know more about the particular vaccine that you are being trialed for or in a trial for? Um, so, you know, like I said, they do give you a lot of reading material. Uh, that said, it is broad, broad strokes. You know, they, they don't tell you exactly what goes into the vaccine. They don't, um, you know, this is through my own research. This is through my reading of the results that they've been seeing in other Oxford trials across the world. So, for example, when I signed up to this trial, um, the Oxford trial in the UK was already concluding. And so we got given a note. Um, so every time they, they change the protocol of the trial, you get given a letter and you have to sign that you've read it and you understand. So this letter in particular was advising that they'd seen incredibly positive results if participants of the trial received two injections um, between 25 and 31 days apart. So that then obviously informs why in this trial we're getting two injections, where previously in other trials they may have only got one. Um, so they are very, you know, and the thing is, everyone who you come across through it, because you're constantly going from one healthcare professional to the next one to get the next test or the next sign the next document, um, they're always open to answering your questions. Um, obviously, you may not necessarily understand the science behind it. I still can't pronounce the name of the vaccine, so that's possibly some degree of, of scientific knowledge that I'm lacking. And I may not necessarily understand the exact scientific components, but, you know, they are also testing, for example, they are also testing HIV positive patients. So in my trial, there's about 4,000 of us. And I believe that 50 of them, 50 of the people taking part will be HIV positive. And um, so, yeah, you know, the, the thing is, is depending on your health profile and depending on your interactions with each healthcare professional, they then will give you the information that you need to not only feel comfortable with what you're doing, but also be able to kind of understand if you're feeling this, this is why you're feeling it. Now, Robin, talk us through the ways in which, through your own observations, the constant commotion around vaccines being trialed in various pockets of the world. Does this have potential for, for 
causing the public to lapse in the protective measures that they take to protect themselves from the virus? Is there potential for people to hear about these vaccines being trialed and use that as an excuse to go, okay, maybe I don't need to wear my mask anymore or as much. I need to sanitize as much. I'm curious as to the potential that these vaccine trials have to inspire complacency among the public. You know, I think you are pointing to some really important aspects of the road ahead. Taking part in this vaccine trial, um, the one thing it's really consolidated for me is the fact that the road ahead is still a long one. So this trial in itself, being the first one, is still a year to go. So in terms of being able to kind of start seeing the results of this trial, that's still a year and a half to two years away. So it's not a case of once these vaccine trials are complete, then, oh, cool, you know, we've seen that the vaccine works and we can totally just roll it out and everything will go back to normal. Um, Obviously, different countries and different um, companies are working on different vaccines. And for us to do that simultaneously, that's amazing. That's definitely what we need. But we don't want the process to be expedited because a, a country feels as if, you know, they can put pressure and, oh, look, we got, we ran one week's trial and we got positive results, so let's roll it out. I think there was some stories around Dubai doing something where they'd got positive results for three months and so they thought they'd just roll it out. And that's, you know, we're all tired of the pandemic. <laughs> it's not easy to live in a pandemic and obviously the challenges that each of us face while different, they're, you know, they're consistent. Um, so my concern is the fact that people find out, okay, we've got some vaccine trials going and no one's got sick or they've completed the first round of tests. And, and so then they start to believe that possibly the risk of contracting the virus becomes less or, cause the thing is, even if this trial that I'm on goes well, and we get good results and we get a workable vaccine that we can start to administer to the public, that process of administering to the public is still two to three years away. So, you know, if you want to start talking about developing herd immunity through vaccination, that in itself is probably five years away. So definitely taking part in in the trial has kind of crystallized for me the fact that this is not a quick thing. This is not a, okay, we've run one trial and so now we've got the answers, let's roll it out. It's not how it works. And I think, you know, when I was born, a bunch of vaccines existed already and I was vaccinated and I never thought twice. And once a year I go get my flu vaccine and I never think twice about, you know, where it comes from, does it work, does it not work? I just do it, it's habit and that's it. We're literally starting from scratch. We're starting from scratch with a virus that we have never seen before that literally, you know, hit, hit the shores of South Africa in March and it's now the end of September and it's, <laughs> it's definitely too early to start to bank on these vaccine trials while necessary to collect data. That data is going to be relatively meaningless for a, a, a long time. So I think what's at greater risk of causing South Africans to kind of disregard the safety protocols is fatigue. You know, it's, It's the fact that we can look at the numbers and go, oh, there were fewer infections today or we're on a downward curve. So let's go live life like normal. Let's stop wearing masks. Let's stop social distancing. And obviously we know that, I mean, judging by America, I was reading a report this morning that they're going for a third peak, a third rise in their rate of infection. 
And those are kind of, those are kind of things that we can't afford as a country. We, you know, we don't have citizens who all have access to healthcare. We don't, we just don't have the means of going into another hard lockdown either. Um, I think it would completely destroy the economy. So you've still got to employ those precautions because, you know, this vaccine is not a silver bullet and it's also not a one-stop solution, unfortunately. And Robin, on a personal note, do you have any fears around participating in these trials and the possible damage it could do to your body and possibly your future treatment for the COVID-19 virus? Um, definitely. You know, I, I think... I think I underestimated how much fear I did have. Um, being from a medical family, I kind of just looked at it from a medical necessity um, view. And, and I just knew, you know, if I, if I wanted in some way, shape or form to try to contribute to this positively to this pandemic, this was the least I could do. And that's what I kept saying. This is the bare minimum. And it wasn't until I was sitting on the first day I got the first injection and I was sitting in the chair and she was kind of, you know, she had the needle in her hand <laughs> and I sort of went, oh gosh, this is happening. This is really happening. And um, yeah, like I said, after the first injection, I was so hypervigilant about what it was I was feeling because you know, I, I sort of then started rereading all the papers that I'd already read and just, I think it struck me that actually, you know, this is a trial and I can, I can be positive about it, but I can also then have to acknowledge that there are risks. And, um, you know, then that story of the Oxford participant from overseas came out of um, the patients developing a sort of mystery illness. And for a moment it was like, oh gosh. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a month into this vaccine trial and I've got 11 months to go and you've got someone developing a mystery illness overseas. And it was a little bit like I had to take a moment. Um, but I must say, you know, the, the people who are working at the vaccine trial are incredible. They are just so patient and so kind and they phone you every week and they text you every week and they just tell you, you know, if you're feeling sick, dial this number. If you're feeling these symptoms, dial this number. So they're constantly available to you if you do develop something or if you do need that, um, do need to kind of just be calmed <laughs> and that reassurance that, you know, nothing bad is actually going to happen, hopefully. Um, obviously, we are aware of the fact that it is untested. Um, so there is a risk, but I think I'm trying to focus, trying to focus on the positive and also not having developed any symptoms after both injections. That kind of also makes me feel like, okay, the risk isn't that great. Now, Robin, you mentioned that your family has an extensive medical background over the course of the answers that you've given us during our discussion. Can you perhaps take us through some of the discussions you have had with your family and the medical expertise that you have received from your family as far as our continued fight against the pandemic, specifically in the interests of avoiding that dreaded second wave of the pandemic here in South Africa? So, the, you know, my, my family were very hesitant around me taking part in the trial. Um, again, that's obviously rooted in just their general care and concern. Um, my parents are also, they are high risk. So my dad is 75 and my mom has an has a immune disease. So 
in terms of, the, if, you know, if they were to contract the virus, that in itself has been quite stressful, particularly because my dad being a doctor, he's been going into the hospital throughout this whole pandemic, you know, during lockdown, all of that. So, so I think from very early on, we had those discussions around, okay, so these are the kinds of pr protocols and precautions we've got to take. Um, you know, my mom, she does go to the shops, but, you know, she makes sure that she's wearing a face mask and she's got hand sanitizer. Um, if, if she gets out the car without even wearing her face mask, I shouted her. <laughs> so um, there are just, you know, it's so interesting to me. Like I read an article where the experts were talking about if every single person just subscribed to social distancing, to washing their hands and wearing their face masks, the, the impact it would have is monumental. That is, it seems really simple and it seems really stupid, but that is actually so important to ensuring that any kind of second wave that we see is not as bad as the first wave. Empirical evidence does suggest that the second wave is never as bad as the first, but that also, again, that is kind of relying on your, on your belief and your faith and the fact that the population will continue to prescribe to those simple steps. Um, yeah, you know, also I was reading an article yesterday from the World Health Organization and they were looking at the reasons why Africa in particular has not kind of seen the numbers and the deaths that they were anticipating. Um, all the ideas they put forward in terms of that were very cautionary because it's obviously still just theories until way back, you know, in the future when we're looking back in retrospect and we can, can see clear cause and effect. But they were saying, you know, the lockdown that we had in South Africa, Discovery Health reported saved more than 16,000 lives. Um, our population being quite young, I believe the median age in, in Africa is 27. So our population being quite young, that in itself has also helped because younger bodies are more resilient. But I do just want to stress that, you know, it's, it can get tiring to have to keep remembering to wear your mask and to social distance and to wash your hands. But that if I had to think of three ways that we're going to ensure that we don't need to go back into lockdown or worse, see an increase in deaths and, and cases, those three ways are the simplest and the most effective. And speaking about the trial and your fellow participants, do you know any of the fellow participants? And is there a sense of camaraderie? Do you have a WhatsApp group where you're all texting each other? How does it feel with this trial and everyone else in it? Or is it a pretty individualistic endeavor? So there is a degree of anonymity. Um, for example, you are not called by your name. You are called by your participant number. So you don't really get to know your fellow participants' names necessarily. I know a very good friend of mine who's in the trial as well. So he and I will WhatsApp each other and just kind of catch up and make sure we haven't grown another head or developed some awful symptom. Um, but while you're sitting in the waiting area because you're there for quite long, then you will end up talking to the people next to you, although they're still a two meters away from you. Um, but yeah, there, it, it, there is a degree of anonymity. The doctors know your name, obviously, because they have to confirm whenever they're about to inject you, just to make sure they're injecting the right person. But in terms of actually like being able to contact each other or sit on a WhatsApp group, that doesn't happen. And I think there does, you know, 
I don't know if that's actually a protocol around the trial, but they definitely do try to take pains to ensure that you are not identified in front of other people and that you are just your trial number. Now, based on your experiences and everything that you've already shared with us over the course of our discussion, would you be open to participating in more trials and continuously uh, availing yourself to be in the space where a potential lasting solution to this worldwide problem can be originated? Um, absolutely. I think, so I think there are different reasons for taking part in different trials. Um, if there was something like this, where there was another virus that arrived, a new virus that we'd never seen anything like, and it was just sweeping its way through the world, then that kind of a trial really is the kind of trial I'd want to volunteer to be part of. Again, it's like, it literally is the bare minimum you can do in terms of being part of a solution. Um, when it comes to other medical trials, you know, maybe for antidepressants or contraception or whatever, I feel less inclined um, only because, you know, it takes a lot of your, it takes a lot of your time and it takes a lot of, you know, it's a year of your life. It's a year of your life and there are a lot of risks. And whilst I completely understand the value and the virtue and the need for other medical trials, um, it can greatly impact the way that you live your life. Um, so, yeah, I, I think for some reason I feel more inclined to taking part in the vaccine trials that have to do with possibly stopping a deadly virus, which may mean that my ability to self-preserve is compromised. But anyway. And lastly, Robin, before we let you go, what is one thing you want our listeners to know about your experience or the trial itself? I think it's really important that people try to understand the value of doing a trial like this in South Africa. I absolutely understand all of the concerns that people have. And I understand those are, those are rooted in painful histories. Those are rooted in horrific realities. And, and I completely understand why the idea of using African bodies in any kind of medical trial on something that hasn't yet been tried anywhere else um, would cause people to be really concerned. But again, you know, we want a vaccine that works and we also want a vaccine that is affordable. And by holding this vaccine trial here, my hope is that when it does get developed and it does get approved, that means that it's available to the entire population, not just the people who can afford it. And that, you know, because we've got data for how it affects the African bodies, that it's actually going to work. Um, I'll be the first person to advocate kind of bodily autonomy and, you know, not, and needing to treat African bodies with respect and not just using them as a scapegoat because European bodies or American bodies are too precious. Absolutely. But that's not what this is. And so if I could, if, you know, if people are healthy and if they've got the means to get to the trial center and if they can take part, you know, it's actually really, really important that we do this because, we don't know what we don't know what the vaccine is going to look like. We don't know when it's going to be complete, and we don't know what the next two to three years have in store for us. So we've got to try to be as proactive as we can.
And that was Robin Porteous, a digital marketing manager by profession, but a participant in the Oxford vaccine trial, sharing with us what her experience has been like and some of the intricacies that are involved when participating. Now, the vaccine trial itself has come under some questions with some people having expressed fears about the vaccine. Hi, my thoughts on the COVID-19 vaccine trials. Um, one, I wouldn't take the trial. I, I, I don't. Th I think those people are very brave, and um, I think around COVID nineteen, there's a lot of hearsay. Um, I, I don't have all the facts, so I, I don't trust any anything around it. All the stats and everything, even the testing itself, I, I don't trust it a hundred percent. Um, so when it comes to trials, like uh, for me personally, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take the trial. I'm very skeptical about the trial. I think um, for the fact that South Africa is having a vaccine trial, that for me really warms up my heart. Although I wouldn't take part in any of them, because my fear is that. Um, I mean, during the process of the whole vaccine being tested, um, anything might go wrong. And I think we really are aware and know that the medical practitioners won't be held liable. So I wouldn't even, you know, um, for a million participate in a vaccine trial. But I am, however, hopeful that, you know, we will get a vaccine soon, soon, soon. I mean, it's just a case of having to go through all the seasons and being able to then study this you know, virus because it changes from time to time. So we will go through a whole lot. While others have raised concerns over the pressure to have a vaccine ready for the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, hi, Pilang here, currently based in Joburg. Um, the question on vaccines, it's very complicated. Um, it is a complicated issue. Um, from my side also, not understanding anything about um, vaccine, the development, the trials, and how that side of things work, or the industry of um, finding cures and so forth and so forth. But my um, understanding is that I want to see a vaccine already. So I'm always more interested in the cure. And so I'm aware that um, vaccines do take a while, um, of which I've just learned recently due to the COVID-19. So I've only known recently that um, vaccines do take years. Um, in my case, I was never aware of that. I always thought there should be a cure. In a couple of months, I thought it was going to be quick. But in this case, um, it's not. So there are trials. I'm aware of that. There are trials taking place currently in South Africa. Um, I'm not sure how that goes, um, but there are trials. So the saying is that the trial will take a while. They would have to get the results of the people that are part of the... Um, vaccine trials and then afterwards would we know that there is a vaccine so there's also a concern that um, there is a rush 
because um COVID is a global um pandemic, there is a rush by every country and institution to find a solution into the corona uh, pandemic. So we can't be sure um which institution or the country that comes with a cure. So you can't be sure sometimes who gives you the right cure. Is it um a good one or is it gonna have after effects and so forth and so forth. So the developments will show afterwards um how things go. But it's a very um complicated time because um many countries are saying we have trials, other countries say we have um the cures. So you never know, but we can only trust on the state and trust on the presidency and hopefully um, there would be a vaccine very soon. And should we continue with the vaccine trials? Are they safe? My thoughts on the COVID-19 vaccine trials in South Africa are that they shouldn't carry on um, with the vaccine um, COVID-19 vaccine trials because as we know that in South Africa the vaccine trials have been stopped or paused due to someone getting ill. Um, already people are skeptical in getting the vaccine shots once they they approve a vaccine. So I feel that they should um, not um, test the vaccine shots yet on people they should try find another solution as to how they're going to test on who or what they're going to test it on before they test it on people so my thoughts are they should stop until they find another solution yeah and that is what some of our fellow South Africans had to say about the vaccine trials happening in our very own Vits University. This podcast was brought to you by Voice of Vits. By Voice of Vits. To hear more of our shows, tune in to 88.1. 88.1. Or stream, stream. via www.vafm.co.za.